that it's appropriate that uh, today's message is changes because uh, we're changing the order of service and we're having the Lord's Supper before uh, uh, the message today. Um, tomorrow's Remembrance Day, and uh, many people gather around cenopaths and take time to uh, remember fallen soldiers and um, veterans uh, who fell in war. And it's appropriate, too, that we remember uh, on a regular basis uh, Jesus. And my question for you today is, how do you remember Jesus? I would imagine that uh, people who had soldiers who are relatives, they might put up a picture and talk about stories about the person. They might uh, have a laugh about the good times they had and and, uh, the relations they had. But what about you? Will you remember Jesus? Uh, When was the last time you had a laugh with Jesus? When the last time you cried with Jesus? When would you reminisce about what Jesus did in your life? And that's what remembering is about. Uh, I'm going to read a passage of scripture, and as I do, I'll invite the Lord's Supper's uh, servers to come forward. It says this in 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in a worthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. And now I'm going to ask Pastor Johnny to pray. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for you giving us a symbol, the bread and a cup, to remind us in our, in our daily and busy lives how much we've often forgotten about you. God, as we partake the bread and cup, God, may you just speak into our lives um, of your love and your grace that you have so so unselfishly given to us. Um, so, Father, we pray that as, as we continue to strive to be disciples of Christ each day, God, that you would just work in our lives, that you just speak to us and teach us what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello. I'm Alfred. This is my partner in crime, Lewis, here. Um, so today our, uh, our message is about changes. And um, the questions that we want to ask today are related to changes. In other words, what creates positive change among people? Uh, how does God grow people? How can we be used uh, to grow people? Maybe you're in a place of your life where you want somebody else to change, and you're thinking, well, how can I ever get that person to change? Because they're driving me crazy. Just like this guy used to drive me crazy. No, he never did. <laughs> and we're going to use two case studies about change. Uh, one is uh, Joseph and his brothers, and the other is uh, about sales. So we'll be kind of talking about the two. And the first one we're going to look at is Joseph and his brothers. 
So I'm going to read a passage from the Bible, Genesis chapter 37, verse 18. And this is what it says. Um, But they saw him, they being uh, Joseph's brothers, they saw him, him being Joseph, in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him, throw him into one of these cisterns and say the ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him in the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat their meal. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh. And they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy's not there. Where can I turn now? They got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped his robe into blood. They took their ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been devoured to pieces. It's kind of ironic if you know the history of Jacob because he, he used a deception too. He used cloth to deceive his brother. And, and most people, when, we, when you look at this, if you know the history between Joseph and his brothers, you, you might think, oh, okay, his brothers are real evil people. They just threw him into this well and then sold him into slavery. But it's a little bit more complicated that his... Um, his, his father married four different women, and um, he favored one of them more than the others. So all the brothers came from different uh, family members, and one of them was favored more. And his father also favored Joseph more than any others. Some commentators might even say that Joseph um, perhaps took advantage of that situation and showed up his brothers a bit more. He definitely gave a bad report and you know, told on his brothers, if you want to think about it that way. So it wasn't as simple as clear-cut as they were bad and they just threw him the well to get rid of him. Uh, it was a very complicated family relationship. And now Louis is going to talk a little about stay-out and some of the challenges we initially faced. All right, so um, I'll just give everybody a context of uh, what stay-out is. So stay-out is a First Nations uh, church that we go to once a year uh, since 2007. And um, the very first year that we went to SAIL, it was really just a service missions trip. So all it was was to go there and help them with beautifying their church, painting the exterior and the interior of the church. They actually had posted a, uh, an advertisement requesting help because they didn't have the funds, the resources, or the people to be able to paint this church. And at the time, a lot of us actually had the funds or the resources to do it. Um, so that's what we did. Uh, we went there, and we also re- realized that we weren't ready to evangelize yet. So at that point, we thought this was perfect. Let's go there and clean this church up and paint, paint this church. 
So the first year we went, we didn't really see any kids, but we did recognize that there was a lot of social inequality within this community. There were some houses that weren't well kept. The, the lawn was unmowed. There was rusted vehicles that were just left on the lawn. Um, there was open areas of parks or forests that just had litter everywhere, and there was holes everywhere. And then there's also the other side where there is white picket fence, very nice green grass that was cut, and everything was really tidy. So we got to see both of these types of houses inside one community. And we also noticed that there was the cemetery that we drove right past when we went in, and it just was very common for them to say, oh, we had five funerals this month. And um, it wasn't something that was um, very difficult for them to say. <clears throat> so then we helped renovate, and then after that, we developed a relationship with the pastors at the time, who were Pastor Ben and Bernie, and they had a pastor, a missions pastor from Korea. His name is Pastor Moses. So he came here and he spoke uh, earlier this year as well. So we went back and they requested us to help with the, a VVS program. So we were thinking at the time, VVS, we didn't even see any kids when we went, right? So we went back and we had all these plans to do the VVS, how we do it here. So we had decorations, we had a schedule, we had crafts. So we had everything planned out and we were, we were on fire. We are like, yeah, VVS with, with First Nations kids. So we went in 2008. That was our first VVS. And we absolutely were shocked and surprised. I would like to say we got slaughtered out there. So what happened was we put up these decorations the night before, and then within 10 minutes of the next day, pretty much all the decorations were gone or destroyed. And it was just it was chaos. When we did the worship, as soon as we started playing the music, the kids would run out the back of the sanctuary, and then we would chase them to try to bring them back in. And then we would bring them back in, and they would run again. They would think it was a game. So... It was very hard for us to have any structure, and we also experienced there was a lot of teens that came that didn't really want to be a part of the program, but they just wanted to see how far they can push our buttons. So we segmented our group so that there was big kid leaders and small kid leaders, so that that way we could kind of make sure that the big kids were occupied and not bullying the little ones. And uh, there's also other... Um, things that we uh, went through in terms of challenges, there was also a lot of relational issues. So similar to what uh, Alf's saying about Joseph's family, with uh, First Nations people, there's a lot of relational issues because of residential schooling and how they see the church. And the church represents a lot of uh, pain, suffering, a lot of hardships, because a lot of people faced assimilation uh, from the church. So there was a lot of... Um, difficulties because the kids would see the church one way and then we would want them to accept us and we wanted them to be able to just um, develop relationships with us. And the last part was also in terms of evangelism. We weren't really comfortable with it at that point. We didn't know how to share faith without being forceful or pushy. So that was also something that we kind of didn't really touch that topic too much. So this is the start of sale. This is the start with Joseph. Let's go back to Joseph now and fast forward many years. I, I don't know if you know what happened during those years. It's a long story, and it's one worth reading if you have time to read it. I encourage you to read it. But Joseph ended up uh, being sold into slavery. He went to Egypt, and he became a very powerful uh, pharaoh's right-hand man. And during that time, there was a big famine all around. And his brothers uh, came years, years, years later, so they came to ask for food. And they didn't recognize Joseph because they thought he was pretty much dead or enslaved or whatever. And Joseph saw his brothers there, and 
he recognized his brothers, but his brothers didn't recognize him. But he didn't say a thing. Now, now think about this. If you were in Joseph's shoes, wouldn't you, would you want to say, hey, you guys, this is just like my dream. You guys are bowing down before me. You're my brothers. Now, he didn't say that. All right, so let's pick it up here. This is in Genesis uh, chapter 44, verse 18. Um, and it says this. Then Judah, and if you remember, Judah was the one who said, hey, let's, uh, let's sell Joseph for money and enslave him. Okay, this is the same Judah years ago who, who sold Joseph. Then Judah went up to him and said, Please, my lord, let your servant speak a word to my lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My lord has asked the servants, Do you have a father or brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in old age. His brother is dead, so he thinks Joseph is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then he said to your servants, bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. So he's referring to Benjamin, Joseph's brother. And Joseph is saying, I want to see Benjamin. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said we cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, He has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now if the, Lord, if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father... And my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, see that the boy isn't there. He will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will blame the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, here's the critical part. This is Judah talking, the one who sold Joseph into slavery. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. So what happened to Judah? Years ago, he sold Joseph into slavery. Years later now, he's saying, don't let Benjamin go. I'll be a slave for Benjamin. He's now willing to take his brother's place. Was it through fear? Was it through circumstance? What happened? And, and these are not easy questions to answer. These are not easy questions to say, oh, well, he was just because of this. I'd like to think that Judah changed. Something happened to him. Now, did Joseph affect that change in Judah? Or was God working in Judah's life? To, to the man who, who once said, let's sell our brothers to slavery, to the, now the man who says, I want to be a slave instead of my brother. Something happened to change Judah. And that's an interesting thing to think about, how that kind of positive change happens. So uh, back to the sale case study, um, there's also a lot of uh, changes, positive changes that's happened with sale over the course of the last seven years. So we've noticed that um, the church is more respected now, and that might be due to some changes. So 
now there's a pastor that's actually a part of the band. His name is Mark Hughes, and then his wife is Tabita Marks. She's actually the Head Start program for a uh, coordinator for the community center that's close by as well. So there's a lot of respect for the elders and the development of the church community. And at the same time, the church has a lot of regular events. So they give away free bread once a week. There's free haircuts. And they also have a community dinner once a week as well. So there's definitely been a lot more trust from the community. And we were able to observe that. So we only go there once a year. So the change that we really have on this community is very slight. And we've just been, it's been a blessing to be able to observe a lot of the changes in terms of how they see the church. Because the very first year, we saw them throw rocks at the church, and it was a place that they really disliked. And then now they see, they see this community, the community sees this church as a place that's welcoming. They know that if they come in, they can get food, or they can share their stories, and somebody will be there to listen to them. This year was also a blessing as well, because a month before we went to the reserve, Pastor Moses had came here and spoke, and he shared with us that this year, there's the band camp is going to be joining us. And that was actually, when he spoke here on that Sunday, that was the first time that we actually realized that the band camp was going to join us. So the band camp is not like an, it's not an orchestra or a, like an instrument camp, but it's the First Nations band camp. So there's about 60 youth and 15 leaders. So we had an additional 75 people join us every day. So every day we had over 100 people that we had to kind of coordinate, figure out scheduling and food and all that kind of stuff. And it was also a blessing to serve with those 15 leaders who used to be little kids that came to the VBS. So now we would never have imagined that we would be serving alongside them and taking care of little ones. And uh, we also were able to finally have some sort of structure. This was the first time ever. So before, kids would run out and they they wouldn't come back and we would chase them. And then this year, we were able to break up into three different segments. So we had, uh, old, the oldest group was nine years old and plus, and we called them the wolves. And then we had a group that was in the middle that was from age seven to eight, and they were called the eagles. And then our youngest group were the jellyfish, and they were between four and six, year, four and six years old. And they were like super cute. So we actually, what we did was we segmented them, segmented them into three groups. And we went from, in the mornings, we went from crafts to Bible story to outside games. And then in the afternoons, we also had crafts and outdoor activity. And we were able to just move things along and get them to uh, be a little bit more structured that way. Uh, One other thing that was really surprising to us as well was they have a community center. And in the past, we are... are, um, our relationship with the community center, there isn't really one. So we actually just use their gym. And the very two years ago, what we did was we went there and we, as a, as, because it was part of a band camp, what we did was we watched the kids play hockey as part of their tournament and we would cheer them on. And then the following year, we actually used the gym for activities uh, two days out of the, out of the week. This year, because it was actually forecasted to rain on the Thursday, on the Wednesday evening, the the coordinator made a whole bunch of calls, and they the community the community center was opened up to the church, and it was a partnership that where they allowed us to use their whole facility. So some of the pictures up there will show that we were able to use their classrooms for crafts, we were able to use their auditorium for worship and Bible story time, 
and we were able to use their gym and their and their facility for all the activities. <coughs> and the other changes that have been a lot more positive have also been because a lot of relationships have started to develop stronger and stronger. So we started going seven years ago. A lot of the kids have grown with us, and a lot of the team members have stayed in touch with them throughout the year. Um, it's developed a lot more credibility or you know strength in terms of the relationship. So we were we really wanted to push ourselves, and even though we had a different team, we wanted to get out of our comfort zone and kind of use these, not use, but uh, utilize these relationships that we've developed and be able to take it to the next level. And I mentioned that when we first got started, it was a service mission trip. We were not ready for evangelism. And then every year we would go back for VBS, we were also not comfortable with evangelism because we didn't know, oh, how are we going to do this? We don't want to seem forceful or pushy. We need to avoid vocabulary that might remind them of assimilation. So it was a very sensitive issue. So I remember thinking on that Wednesday, oh, if we were going to do some sort of a invitation to Christ or altar call, how are we going to do it? And plus, now we're going to the community center where there's going to be a whole bunch of staff and people that don't even go to the church. And I just wasn't really comfortable with that. So I remember talking to Johnny and some of the other elders within the community. And when we mentioned it, we we're like, we're thinking about doing this. What do you think? And they're like, yeah, let's do it. We're excited. You've got to do it. So they helped us with uh, figuring out the altar call and the invitation to Christ. And really, our focus is really to just plant seeds every year just to show love, build relationships. And then this year, we, um, we were able to also be blessed to have the opportunity to give not just one invitation to Christ, but three. So we did it for all three age groups. And uh, typically, I think, usually when kids accept Christ, they get the chance to repeat the prayer, and they can pray inside their, their head or inside their heart. And when I remember when Johnny gave the invitation out, and each group, all the kids would pray out loud. So it was just really heartwarming, and it was really a true blessing to be able to hear all these kids say that they love Jesus and they want him to be the savior of their life. I'm going to put you on the spot here because I know you didn't prepare this. But uh, Lewis has a really good uh, story regarding seeds. And, and before, he, before I make him tell it, you know, in the Bible it says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith you are taught and overflowing with thankfulness. This idea of being rooted in, in Jesus and, and planting seeds, you know, being rooted. Um, yeah, you told me a really neat story, a uh, seed story. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if you could share it now. Okay. Um, I don't have it prepared here, but I kind of know the gist of the story, so I'll try to share it with you guys. So on one of the days, we had a debriefing and worship at sale and I was just trying to share with the kids what we're trying to do is we're just planting seeds we're not here to harvest we don't know what is really happening like in terms of who really accepted Christ only God will know God's ultimately he's the one that has the ultimate plan so the story about seeds that I shared was there is a CEO of a company and instead of giving his company away to his family member or the next in line he invited all the young executives to the boardroom, and he said, I'm going to give each of you one seed, and I want you to plant it for one year. And then what's going to happen is when you return after a year, whatever, however the plant looks, however much it's grown, whatever fruit it uh, bears, I'm going to base who I give my company to based off of who grows this plant. So he gives all the young executives a seed. And then the story falls, one of the men 
uh, one of the um, young executives, his name is Jim, let's say, and he goes home and he tries to plant a seed and he's unsuccessful at first. And then three or four weeks in, a lot of the other young executives are starting to talk about how much their seeds are growing and what kind of shape they're looking like. And he's, he's really worried. So he talks to his wife and his wife is like, you know, let's just keep planting it, fertilizing it, watering it. So six months go down the road and now a lot of the other young executives are now, you know, have huge trees and large bushes and a whole bunch of different types of uh, fruit. And then he still got nothing. So then a year comes in and he's like, you know what, I don't want to go to this meeting because it's embarrassing. I have no nothing to show for it. But his wife convinces him, convinces him, convinces him to go, so he goes anyway. And in the boardroom, everybody's got all these wonderful trees and bushes and all these different plants. And he just hides in the corner with his empty, with his empty pot. So some other people see it and they're like, oh, like, what the heck? There's, so some of them are laughing at him and others are embarrassed for him. And then the CEO of the company goes up to the front and he's like, wow, this is amazing. There's so many trees, bushes and plants. This is amazing. And then he spots Jim and he's like, he's got no plant. So then he's like, Jim, come up here. So he goes up there, and he's just, like, so embarrassed. He wants to die on the spot. And then the, the CEO goes to the other young executives, like, everybody, I want to introduce you to the new CEO, Jim. And the reason why is because one year ago, he actually gave everybody boiled seeds. So they were all dead. But Jim was the only one that had the honesty and the uh, integrity to come and really just give back what he actually got. Everybody else cheated and lied, right? So that's, that's kind of the story is really what are we trying to plant? So we want to be able to plant love, and then what we're reaping is going to be respect or honesty and truth. So that's kind of how it went. Thanks, Thanks for being that on the spot. That's a good story. So back to Joseph again. Um, his brothers came there, and he told his brothers um, who he was eventually. And uh, he was reconciled to his brother, uh, his father, uh, Israel, or Jacob, came, and he was reconciled, and his family lived, lived in Egypt for a while with abundance and happiness. And then his father died, and that's when his brothers got worried. His brother said, uh-oh, now that dad's dead, maybe Joseph will finally get his revenge on us, uh, because, you know, there's, there's, he's mad at us for trying to sell him to slavery. And here's what it says in the Bible, Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. 50, 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I asked to... Uh, I ask you to forgive your brothers and the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down to him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the savings of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. We, you know, when, when you look at changing people, sometimes we think we can affect that change. But in the middle of, of it all, sometimes we have to realize 
we should just be joining God in his work. God had a greater plan to save an entire nation of people. He saved the entire Israelites. God knew something bigger than his brothers, bigger than Joseph. All Joseph and brothers had to do was join God in his work that he's doing. And maybe as, as you struggle with what changes that you're going, uh, going through, um, instead of praying for other people to change, maybe that's what you have to do too. It's like, let's just join God in his work and, and see what happens. Later on, we're going to be singing a song called Cornerstone. And uh, it's really an old hymn called The Solid Rock, but part of it is my anchor is in the veil. The veil is a valley. And when you're in the valley, are you just going to cling to the anchor, which is God, right? Because God intended something greater than Joseph and his brothers ever dreamed. What is going to share about the future of Seah? Okay. So in terms of the future of Seah, a lot of changes have occurred. So from the very beginning, First Nations culture has different spiritual beliefs. So how is the church even on sale? So it started off, there was a church that was for sale because it was going to be destroyed. So Pastor Benny and Bernie actually bought that church for $1, and then they moved that church from downtown Victoria on a freighter to where it is today, and it lives, and it, the church lives on their land. And as a result now, there's been a lot of development with the church. The, past, uh, the chief of the First Nations Band is also a Christian, and there's a lot more development in terms of the church community. So that's exciting, and we don't know what's going what's gonna to happen, but definitely God's presence is felt there because from a church that was seen as something that was evil or represented a lot of pain is now seen as a light is definitely significant change. Um, there's still going to be a lot of social economic inequality. So I mentioned at the beginning that we noticed that there is a lot of rich and poor uh, people there, and it's quite a bit of a difference. And that's still going to be something that's continuing to, continuing to change. So a lot of people are still leaving. So a lot of First Nations band, they, they have the land. They lease it because they can't afford to live there. They don't have income. So they just lease it out, and then they live somewhere else. And then people that aren't band members would live there instead and pay rent. And more and more people are doing that. So a lot of the people we ended up growing with and developing relationships with, they might not be there next year or the year after, and that changes as well. The other thing is there's a, there's a large amount of land where there's forests and then five families own it and they're thinking about, well, they already proposed and they want to be able to clear cut all that forest to develop a super mall or one of those big town centers with shopping malls and uh, healthcare like facilities. So that's going to also change the community as well if that happens. So a lot of construction jobs will be created and also a lot of other jobs will be created. But the, the look and feel of the community would be quite different if that happens as well. And the other thing is also, because we've been going for over seven years, a lot of the relationships have changed. And how are we going to partner with that as well? So one story is um, one of the boys over there, his name is Wes. We first met him when he was 12, so he's 19 now. And uh, we actually found out on the last day that uh, because there was some transportation mix-hats, mix we showed up after an hour of our scheduled uh, ferry. But what happened was he was actually at the church waiting there, and every half an hour he would look out the church door or window to see if we had arrived yet. And the reason why he kept on doing that is because he knew we were coming, and he wanted to introduce us to his brand-new uh, baby daughter. So he was so excited and proud to show us that, you know, he was a father now, and he was just waiting for us to show up. And I thought that was quite neat. So a lot of the relationships are changing. So some of the kids that we grew up with are now parents 
or some of them have left or now they're working. So again, that's something that will develop and change. And what's, what's the future hold in store? We're, we're not sure, but we're quite excited to continue to partner with them. So, um, you know, one thing about changes and seeing people change is one thing uh, is, of course, we can't ignore the past either. And you see that um, Joseph forgave his brothers. You know, he was willing to say, I'm not holding a grudge against you. I'm not going to enslave you as you enslaved me. Um, you can see in the First Nations, uh, I don't know how many of you know about the Truth and Reconciliation Com uh, Commission, which talked about... Um, reconciling all the horrible things done uh, in residential schools and many of those things unfortunately in the name of God and having these moments of reconciliation and so that that is a powerful uh, part of change uh, one thing that was really neat about the sale experiences is the backgrounds of different people who came and how that brought us together maybe you want to talk a little bit about the backgrounds so uh, it was originally, say it was originally designed just for youth service mission trip, but over the years it's continued to develop and grow into something different. And I find that this is also where I, I'm personally I'm challenged as well. And I've learned that to serve in sale, we really have different backgrounds. So we've had people that are still in high school or just entering high school. We have some people that are leaving high school. Some people are working or in post-secondary. We have we, had, we have newlyweds that are still figuring out if they like children or not come. We have uh, retired people come, and we also have families that want to be able to expose their own children to missions at a younger age or cross-culture at, at a younger age. So we have all these different backgrounds. We're all from different walks of life, but we all go there with a common purpose. We really just want to be able to show God's love, his unconditional love, and accept the people that we are faced with. And even though... They might act out and push our buttons because of, you know, the background that they have. We can't even imagine what they live through. But um, it just challenges us to encourage each other, support one another, and we have this common purpose. It really just shows that we really are, like, one body in Christ because we have all these different backgrounds, different talents, but we still somehow, uh, God's still able to use us somehow to share. And it's a real true blessing to be able to be a part of that. So we're going to finish with uh, some challenges for you, uh, kind of a two-part challenge, and I'm going to invite Willis and his team to come up uh, to give this challenge. Uh, one of them is a challenge for mission trips, and uh, Lewis here could tell you about all the different trips, whether, you know, it's not just sail, there's ICC, there's, okay. <laughs> there's Guatemala, there's, there's other, other mission trips, and, um, you know, missions is important. Uh, some people say, oh, why don't we just send money? I think uh, when you go on a mission trip, it provokes you, it changes you, and it makes you think about why the world is the way it is, and you're not satisfied with why the world is the way it is. It's a lot different than just sending money away. When you meet with the poor, or you, you know, have lunch with the needy, or you um, serve the dysfunctional, it changes something inside of you, and then you're no longer satisfied with the world with the way it is. So I have a two-part uh, challenge for you, and um, the first one is, if you're feeling a calling to a missions trip, you know, that's challenge number one, to respond. In a moment, I'm, I'm going to ask you to come forward 
and to pray here uh, to the front if that's the one that responds. The other one is just purely related to change. Maybe you're in a part of your life where you're thinking, oh, I need to change somebody. Uh, I need to change this person. But the song that we're going to sing is called Cornerstone. And it talks about who the cornerstone is. Just like we had that first uh, problem with uh, Sayout, we're not, we weren't, you know, we're not some great agents of change here. All we were doing was joining God in his work. And that's what God wants us to do. God said, I have a greater good beyond anything you can imagine. You know, at one point, Jacob says, why is all this terrible things happening to me? But instead, it was for the saving of many lives. And so if you're in a moment where you're trying to think, oh, I need to change this person, maybe you have to say to yourself, I just need Jesus to be my cornerstone, my anchor in the veil. That's who I need. And you need to say, I need to give this to God. So I'm going to ask you to come forward, too. If you want to uh, go on missions, come forward. Come pray at the front. Luce and I will be here at the front. Or if you are in the midst of saying, I need to change somebody else, but in truth, I just need to put Jesus as my cornerstone. That's all I really need to do. Then I ask you to come forward, too. Let's sing Cornerstone.